Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, the Steelville Giant. That's correct, the Steelville Giant. And this is in regards to a giant eight-foot-tall skeleton that was found down near Steelville, Missouri, back in 1933. Now, there's lots of these stories out there of uh, giant skeletons being discovered, especially throughout the uh, uh, 1800s and even into the early 1900s as, as uh, people settled the land. And lots of stories from uh, Native Americans who had lived here uh, previous to uh, white settlement, still live here actually, obviously. Uh, stories about giants, and many times stories that the natives told about those giants were stories that the giants were large uh, cannibals that preyed on the native population. All interesting backstory. Now, I came across this uh, when I was just cruising around YouTube, and I found a recent um, documentary series released by the History Channel. It looks like it's just starting. Uh, perhaps it's been on TV for a while, but at least it's just getting on YouTube just now. And it's about these two brothers who are giant hunters. And, you know, some of History Channel stuff's pretty good. Some of it is misses the mark, but I think this is going to be one of those shows that's actually pretty entertaining to watch. And uh, something might be worthwhile. So I watched the first video. Really enjoyed it. Now, these two brothers are based out of Massachusetts, and they're on this cross-country uh, trip to uh, find to find uh, the locations and the, and the stories of these different uh, giants that have been located over the years. In this particular episode, they're focusing on uh, Steelville, Missouri, and this uh, discovery that it happened back in 1933. They actually go in, they do a pretty good job of it, they uh, talk to the locals, they actually find um, some old-timers that have been in the community their whole life and remember uh, the doctor that was involved who uh, had this skeleton actually displayed in his office. Uh, they show pictures of a, a local a townsperson there, six foot tall, laying next to this uh giant skeleton demonstrating that this that this that this person this giant would have been uh, at least eight foot tall so they're really showing you that yes something was found here it is here's pictures of it they go into detail about the young man that found it uh, they find uh, members of the descendants of the Harmon family and eventually they find the cave or at least what they believe was the cave where this thing was found at and it gets even more interesting because while there one of the brothers finds a large canine tooth that appears to belong to a human, but it's just way too big to be human. I suppose unless that human was eight foot tall or so. Now, I linked to the articles. We'll talk about this more in detail. I'll flesh this out for you. You can go to the website ufowarning.com and you can link to the video there or to the articles that we're going to look at, ufowarning.com. And it really explains the process of what happened and then explains the process here, you know, all these years later, these two brothers going and investigating the scene and looking at, at how the evidence was treated. 
sadly, the evidence wasn't treated that well, as far as I can see. It turns out that the skeleton was uh, requested, they said, by the Smithsonian. The doctor sent it to the Smithsonian Institution, never to be seen again. Well, these two guys actually go there to the, to the Smithsonian and request to try to find this thing. And, you know, I pretty much already knew what was going to happen. You know, they send this rep from the Smithsonian out, and it really... His attitude just seemed to me to be condescending. That's how I interpreted it. It's like he's looking at his nose at these two guys and just like, what do you, what do you yahoos expect to find here? His, his attitude was, he basically said, well, people send them the Smithsonian stuff all the time. How would we know? And he looks at the tooth and he says, well, it looks human, but I'm sure it's not. Well, I read later that uh, they apparently did have the tooth tested and it came back as non-human. This is not a surprise to me. It seems like constantly we're hearing about uh, samples uh, of DNA that that or Bigfoot samples either come back uh, non they either come back as um, indistinguishable you know we can't determine it or they just they just forget that it was sent to them. So I only wish they could have you know somehow maybe sent this off to a couple of a couple of labs clandestinely if necessary. To have them test the DNA because I'm not, I'm not sure that they really got a fair shake on it, and I really haven't been able to find an answer. Well, if it wasn't human, then what was it? You know, it's a tooth, it's it's biological. It you know, there's only so many animals on the planet. We should be able to tell uh, what animal this thing belongs to. So they kind of that's was just kind of left out there. We're just left with that mystery. But it just goes to show. Uh, the low regard that the mainline uh, science has for anything that goes outside the bounds of their narrative. It's just the same kind of thing we run into with the, with the UFO uh, sightings. They only want to address things as long as it fits their narrative. Now, I found a couple articles on this. which was pretty interesting. The first one here is an excerpt, I believe, or maybe it's an entire original article and like I said, you can uh, go to the website, ufowarning.com, and link to this. It says, Billy Harmon's Giant Confirmed by Jim Vieira. And now it says here, under the under the, the excerpt of the paper, It's and I believe this is from 1933, it says, Human Skeleton Unearthed by Steelville Lad. A rather weird experience came to 12-year-old Billy Harmon son of Mr. and Mrs. W.C. Harmon, who live on the J.E. Puckett Farm on the Merrimack River near Steelville. Billy had entered a cave on the farm to look for Indian relics, and noticing a hole in the ground, he threw a light into it and saw two white substances which he reached in and brought to the surface. He saw they were ribs, evidently from a human body. He, buried, he hurried to the house to tell his parents of his find, and they returned with him to the cave with the spade. Mr. Harmon dug down some three feet and found a complete skeleton of what seems to have been a giant in stature. He made an opening some four feet in length before he had completely uncovered the skeleton, which had been buried, to a, which had been buried in a sitting position with the head bowed down. The skeleton is now on exhibit at the office of R.C. Parker, who says it resembles a man of giant size and bears indications of having been buried centuries ago. 
spread out on the floor of the doctor's office, the skeleton shows a preservation that is wonderful, and few, if any bones are missing, quote, Steelville Ledger. Now that's from the paper at the time. That's a contemporary, a contemporaneous uh, uh, report right there. And as I said before, in the History Channel, uh, the investigators actually go back and find people who knew this Dr. Parker, who uh, the one old guy, that was his medical doctor as a kid growing up. Uh, they, they find the Harmon family. So the, the actors, uh, although uh, deceased now, the, the descendants are still in the area. Now it goes on here, it says, The Giant of Puckett's Cave, Human Skeleton Unearthed by Steelville Lads. Big thanks to the following for the story. This is one of the most interesting stories because of the follow-up findings. Jim and Bill Vieira on the History Channel series, Search for the Lost Giants, a photo of a tooth, the truth, travel to Steelville and visit the archives there as well as the cave itself. Two great discoveries are made there, <clears throat> there one being a tooth from an 8-foot-6 Ozark giant found in the niche in the north wall by Bill Vieira with the assistance of Brad Dubbert. Now that's what they're talking about, the tooth right there. The other is a photo from the Steelville Ledger found by Jim Vieira with the assistance of James Clary. This is taking this is taking giant research to the next level and is what is expected with all successful follow-ups. Now, the picture they'd found uh, during their trip to the library, uh, and, they'd, and they showed a picture uh, in the video there. So far, I have not found that picture reproduced online anywhere, but you have to go watch the History Channel video and in, towards the end of that video, you'll see that picture there. It's really fascinating. It says, During their quest, they were able to find an old-timer who had his rib repaired by Doc Parker. When he was younger, Jim and James talked to a descendant of the family of Billy Harmon named Ed Harmon. While <clears throat> reading, Jim indicates that Doc Parker received a letter of interest from the, from the Smithsonian Institution from Washington, D.C., and requested that they ship the skeleton to Washington, D.C. So as, so, as it, so as it could be studied by experts, Dr. Parker made shipment at the beginning of the week. Research originally done by Raphael Michael Ewers, the Planet and a Human Encyclopedia, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes on here. It has, okay, and on this site here, it actually has that picture reproduced. Man, this is something else. You really need to go to the website, ufowarning.com, and look this up. And it's the first uh, article we linked to, uh, Ozark Giant, I believe it's labeled. And it has a picture of the guy just laying here on the floor next to this enormous giant. Clearly this thing is at least eight foot tall. And it has a picture of the man laying down uh, face first, and then it shows his face so you can tell that it's who, who it is. Now in the comments it, sh it says the tooth turned out not to be hominid, but evidence we found in Steelville was was compelling indeed. I have no doubt that an eight-foot skeleton was dug up out of that cave. I'm currently investigating another Missouri story posted on your site, and I'm making very good progress. Thanks for your page, James Clary. Yeah, just fascinating stuff, but as I said, the skeleton was reportedly sent off to the Smithsonian, but the Smithsonian is claiming that uh, they don't have anything like that, and as far as they're concerned, you know, giants are just imaginary. Now, I did find another article here also. Uh, this has been posted for a while, I think, and it, it comes from rootsweb.com. 
this is something that Harmon family put up, I believe. It's titled, An Ancient Ozark Giant Dug Up Near Steelville, Missouri. And then it says, Strange discovery made by a boy looking for arrowheads gives this Missouri town an absorbing mystery to ponder. Steelville, Missouri, June 11, 1933. This quiet little summer resort town of the Ozarks has just come to grips with an absorbing mystery of a sort it has never before been called upon to solve. It all came about as a result of Billy Harmon's hunt for arrowheads a few weeks ago. Poking about in Puckett's cave in a Merrimack River Bluff some ten miles northeast of here, young Harriman reached for something white in a hole in the ground, and to his vast amazement came up with a handful of human bones. Soundly startled, startled the 16-year-old lad put them down and dashed back for home. Then, after, his, after gathering his courage and some reinforcements, he went back and proceeded to dig on the site of the discovery. Now, we're told in the newspaper article that was actually his parents that did that. Uh, from the ancient accumulation of ash and limestone debris, he turned up the complete skeleton of an eight-foot giant. The grisly find was brought to Dr. R.C. Parker and stretched out to its enormous length in a hallway of his office, where it has since remained the most startling exhibit Stillfield has ever had on public view. People have come from far and near to examine it and fire a broadside of questions at the harassed doctor. Who was this giant? When did he live? To what race did he belong? Was he simply a freak among people of normal stature? Or did he belong possibly to some extinct race of Stone Age giants who roamed over their, over these hills before the coming of the Indian? What was the matter of his death? Did he come to his end from natural causes? Or does that bone arrowhead found among the bones tell its own story of violence? Was he perhaps an Ozark Goliath? brought down by some David of the Missouri Hill Country who used a bow and arrow instead of a sling. Well, there was some thought maybe this giant had been killed uh, by an arrow, but but nobody really knows because the body wasn't ever properly uh, autopsied as far as, the, as far as we're concerned. What happened once it got to the Masonian, if it made it there, who knows? If anybody can answer these questions, he is pretty likely to find a warm welcome in Steelville, especially at the hands of Dr. Parker. Anthropologists are scarce hereabouts, and the doctor's fund of information about such things was exhausted in the first 20 minutes. An appeal to Dr. Alan Hardlika, anthropologist of the National Museum in Washington and celebrated authority on primitive races, is expected to help. Dr. Parker has written him, offering to forward the skull or the whole skeleton if necessary for scientific study. Well, there you go. Meanwhile, speculation is proceeding at a lively rate. The consensus of local opinion is that these prodigious bones are the remains of an Indian, maybe an Osage, since the Osage inhabited this region a century or so ago. But in any case, a chief, for it, for it is argued a man of such gigantic structure must have been a chief among any primitive people. The skeleton itself is seven and a half feet long, without the cartilage layers that once separated the vertebrae, and with some of the bones of the feet missing. Dr. Parker believes the man must have been close to eight feet tall in life, but was apparently of slender build, for the bones are not of extraordinary size except as to length. His slenderness, too, must have been accentuated in appearance, at least by the extremely small size of his head, with all of his magnificent stature. The primitive chief, if chief he was, really was something of a pinhead. The skull measures only 20 inches in, in circumference, a pretty small skull, even for a man of normal height. The heads of most average-sized men measure from 22 to 28 inches in circumference. A 20-inch dome perched on the shoulders of a giant 8 feet tall 
must have looked tiny indeed. That's interesting. His brow, too, was anything but noble. Height of forehead, once popularly believed to be a sort of hallmark of high or low intelligence, has been largely discredited as such an indicator now, so this caveman's sloping brow may not necessarily be regarded as a stamp of low mentality, but it might, but it may be set down anyway as one of the cranial characteristics which fit very neatly into the general pinhead picture. Of course, he had considerably more above the eyes and ears than such extremely primitive types as the Peking man, Piltdown man, and the Neanderthals. It says, but he did have a low brow, and what is probably more significant, a narrow one. His jaw, too, while not of the Prognathius-type characteristic of most ancient men, was somewhat heavier than that of the average man of today. As his age at the time of his death, there is only the condition of the teeth to serve as an indicator. The fact that most of them are still doing service would argue that he had not attained advanced age, and the fact that the molars are considerably worn would indicate he was no longer a stripling. The cave in which the skeleton was brought to light is not essentially different from hundreds of other caves to be found in the limestone bluffs of the Ozark country, except that it is easily accessible both from above and below. Many of these Ozark caves are not. The entrance is about, the entrance is about 100 feet above the river valley, and may be reached by a cliff by a stiff climb from below or by means of a narrow limestone ledge that runs around the, f the face of the cliff from above. John Puckett of Steelville, who was born and raised in the vicinity and who owns the cave, says he has known for 50 years that it was once inhabited, for its floor at the entrance is covered with an ash and charcoal accumulation two or three feet deep. As a boy, he was accustomed to hunt for Indian relics in the place, and in later years he used it as a livestock shelter. As the cave faces east with a bluff and a heavy forest to protect it from the winter, winds on the west and north it makes a capital shelter for livestock, and for the same reason it made a capital dwelling for early races of human beings. A corner in the north wall, just within the entrance, formed the giant's tomb. The body apparently had been placed in a kneeling position in a shallow grave, dug in this niche and covered over with about two feet of soil and debris scooped up from the floor of the cave. The skull, when found, lay face down. Whether the man inhabited the cave in life or took up his abode there only after death is a question which, like a good many others, concerning him has not been satisfactorily answered. In either case, it is evident the cave had served as a human dwelling place long before his burial, for mixed with ash and limestone debris, both above and below the skeleton, were numerous fragments of crude clay pottery. The dish breakage of several generations, maybe, apparently the cave dwellers did not bother much about housekeeping, details is sweeping out broken dishes. Now this is odd that he to think if this was Native American that he was actually buried in the very cave they were living in. It seems like, you know, at least most of the natives that we hear about since the arrival of of the of the whites is that uh, the the dead were buried away from where they lived at. It would seem strange if this is actually of the Native American race that they they would be married in this manner. And secondly, uh, why would they give up such a good place to live just to, just to create a cemetery? You know, it seems a little strange. It's almost like maybe this this giant belonged to a different race other than the, the Native Americans that were already here. 
and says there were other things besides pottery fragments in the grave too, whether they were placed there with the body or merely part of the cave rubbish which with the grave was filled is problematical. But there is but here's the list two stone awls or drills, two to three inches long, three small bird arrowheads, one of them nearly serrated, one larger arrowhead which might possibly have been the cause of the giant's death, a thin oval piece of polished shell roughly the size of a quarter, a segment of bone an eighth of an inch in diameter, and possibly the fang of a saber-toothed tiger of prehistoric origin. It is slightly curved and broken off, perhaps an inch from the point. It is, If it is the fang of a saber-toothed tiger, its presence in the cave would not necessarily mean, of course, that the buried cave dweller was a contemporary of this animal, now long extinct. As to the age of the skeleton, estimates are loose and highly variable. They range all the way from 100 to 2,000 years. Just now it appears that one man's guess is as good as another, but the weight of the evidence seems to be on the side of the higher estimate. For a good many years now, scientists have been uncovering evidence that the Ozark region once was inhabited by a primitive race of cave-dwelling savages, long antedating the the Indian. They lived in caverns and limestone bluffs, caverns similar to Puckett's Cave, and led what appears to be have been a lowly existence. Some 13 years ago, Gerard Falk, field explorer of the Bureau of Ethnology, Smithsonian Institution, spent several months investigating these cave dweller remains. He visited hundreds of caves and found some evidence of continuous habitation for a period of 1,000 to 2,000 years, his estimate being based principally on the depth of an ash accumulation from campfires. One of his most astonishing discoveries was evidence that these aborigines were cannibals, for along with the bones of animals which they had used for other food, he found also human bones which had been cracked for the extraction of the marrow they contained. These people, he believed, lived at least 1,000 years ago. Reason appears, therefore, for belief that the giant of Puckett's Cave may have been one of these prehistoric bluff dwellers, and possibly a cannibal. Which just, it's so strange how, you know, the, Amer the, the first Americans came here and the natives told them the story about giants, about these cannibal man-eating giants that they were constantly having to battle. And then as we go through and begin to discover and, do, and, 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 and just basically run the archaeology in these things, we find out that, yes, indeed, there does appear to have been a cannibalistic race as separate from the Native Americans that we know living in this area. And it turns out the, the one we find is eight foot tall. Well, most of us would consider that a giant, especially in those times when maybe people weren't quite as tall. But the whole story to me is fascinating. There's a lot of these giant stories out there. I'd like to cover a few more of them. I'm hoping that this uh, series that that uh, the History Channel is putting out there will, will uh, be fair in their approach to stuff and, and still entertaining uh, at the same time, because whether we're talking about UFOs or giants or any of the paranormal stuff, these are all things that are outside the normal narrative that we're fed every day. And if we can learn to think outside of the box, if we can learn to think outside of the normal narrative, I think that helps us make our own decisions about stuff, especially in this day and age when you know people are being told to wear a mask that's ten times the size of the virus that it's supposed to keep out. You know, when people are being told that they have to shelter in place and they can't go outside of their house unless it's to a liquor club or a strip club. You know, literally, they closed, they closed the churches down and left the liquor stores and the strip clubs open. I guess COVID is not allowed in those places. So, they're asking you to, to suspend logic at so many levels. And I think that the part of the reason that the system 
the deep state, whatever you want to call it, wants to just bury this notion of anything, uh, you know, any kind of alternative narrative, is because they want to be in control of the way you think. They don't want you thinking outside of the box. If you're able to say, wow, maybe there was this race of giants, maybe, maybe this whole uh, official way that, you know, Native Americans crossed the land bridge this many years ago, and, you know, this, this race existed and that race existed, maybe that's just all wrong. Maybe this whole notion of evolution and how it worked is just all wrong. Maybe, there's, maybe it happened some different way. Once you start to think outside of that narrative, you're thinking for yourself. And if you can think for yourself about these things, then you can think about yourself, you can think for yourself about other things. And then suddenly you might become a little bit dangerous to the system because all of a sudden now you're thinking outside of the box. You're thinking, you're using your own critical thinking skills to approach things, to analyze things. So that's what, that's the lesson I took from this whole thing. They went back, they did a good job of, of, of uncovering the historical record of this giant fat find. I mean, they actually somebody actually did find a very large skeleton. They found a picture of it. That was pretty cool. And then they, they just track how did he get lost. Well, this doctor was just overwhelmed with it. He didn't know what to do with it. Trusting the government, trusting uh, the scientists that that would you know that kind of that that were in the pecking order above him, he sent that skeleton out to the Smithsonian. And what happened to it? Well, they're not talking. They're not talking about a lot of things though. We should be used to that by now. Okay. No disclosure. No disclosure about John F. Kennedy. Okay, we found that out last week. Nope. Can't tell you. No disclosure about UFOs. No real disclosure anyway. And certainly no disclosure about giants. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.